Hello and welcome back to Conversations. I'm your host, Monica, with a co-host guest, Caitlin Cloyd. Hello. Hi, and we are back. We're diving back into our Multipliers book series. We took a mini break, not intentional, just got a little busy, but we're excited to come back with chapter four over the challenger. And there's a lot to unpack here. So we're going to just go ahead and dive in over our coffee and Caitlin's drinking an energy oh, drink. Alani. Yeah, it's like Every day. conversations over caffeine. <laughs> oh, we could, that could be the new title of our series. Um, our other co-guest is under the weather, so she will join us probably next time back on our next chapter. So in chapter four, Liz Wiseman describes know-it-alls as those leaders who give directives that showcase how much they know and define challengers as those who define opportunities that challenge people to go beyond what they know how to do. So have you ever worked for a know-it-all, Caitlin, and or a challenger? And what was the experience like? I would say I've definitely worked for both. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at certain points, you know, in the beginning, working for a know-it-all is helpful because you feel like um, you don't know anything when it comes to, to whatever it is that you're doing. And so you kind of want to work for someone who knows what they're talking knows about, it all. you know? Um, but then you can get to a point where where it's like it can be too much mm -hmm. and and where that person you realize that person just continues to kind of overshadow everyone else around them mm -hmm. um, and you realize like this person does have a, a wealth of knowledge around you know this topic or whatever um the the areas that you're working in but um they they maybe kind of overshadow you know the people who are around them and that can kind of um, make others, you know, just kind of feel like, you know, instead of being challenged, they feel like they're just like, just there, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like worker bee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, when you were talking about that, I was thinking too, back to the unfortunate modeling of a know-it-all that I've also worked for. And it all, my first question when I work for a know-it-all is like, what's your intentions? Like what's behind this facade that you feel like you have to put on? Or maybe it's not even a facade. Maybe that's like your true identity. And then I think too, like at what point, if at any point, do they hold up a mirror to think like, this is more about what I know and what I can do and telling everybody else what to do instead of this isn't about me. This is bigger than the this is bigger than me and this is more about the organization the mission whatever mm -hmm. um and then i also think back to challengers and the very delicate balance that some of these amazing challengers that i've had yes. and that i've worked for because as you know we're all followers in some way like we all are right. reporting to someone you know sometimes when you're being challenged it's uncomfortable because you're like why are you challenging me you know, and that come, you really have to like go into the mindset of like, okay, they're asking me questions to get to know the reason of X, Y, and Z instead right. of being offended by it. And I've worked for some challengers that are just so aggressive that it turns into like their nonverbal communication, sending me a message of like stupid idea. What are you talking about? And then I've worked for graceful challengers who are like, tell me more about it. Okay. I'm not, it's not a no yet, but just tell me like, why were you thinking that way? Yeah, I think. I totally agree with that. And I, I like what you said about it does go back to the intention of, you know, I think it's 
intention and how it's framed mm -hmm. as well. Because getting curious, and that's you know part of the book too, is the challenger um, in this case um, is someone who's curious and who asks a lot of questions rather than tells mm -hmm. a lot of you know directives. And I think it, you can tell the difference sometimes, yes. when, like you said, when people are asking questions just to see what you know or test you, rather than actually saying, "Well, let's let's explore this a yeah. little bit more." And I think when you're saying that too, it's good just for me as a leader personally to name it sometimes because some people like feedback. Some people, you can tell when you're asking questions and it's offending people. And so that's actually good for me to have a reminder of just like, it's good to name it sometimes. Kind of like when someone's like asking a question, I learned this from, I don't remember what facilitator I saw in a session. Instead of being just asking the question and someone taking it the wrong way, they always started with, I have a clarifying question. Mm -hmm. And that was so good to name what type of question it is. And I realized that that also diffuses people because then it's not like they can't jump straight to why are they asking me a question? Well, they're telling you, they just want clarification. Right. Um, and I just think back to those graceful challengers that would ask me questions. And I felt like they genuinely wanted to hear when I've worked for leaders that I'm like, you don't care about anything I'm doing because you literally are just like managing us. So, yeah, I think it's a difference between, like you said, like a, like the types of questions that you ask and how it's how it's framed. So, if you're having a conversation about something and and the the know-it-all type challenger might say, "Well, who's going to do that work?" Then the opposite of that would be saying, "I have, like you said, I have a clarifying question. Who do you see?" Or in your in your vision of this work, who do you see carrying out those tasks rather than who's going to do that work? You know, like yeah. I think it's all in how it's, you know, how how the leader asks the question. Well, and know it all to me is old school leadership, and we keep saying old school, but I really feel like, you know, challengers and this multiplier idea of leadership has been around now. I mean, at least a decade. Yeah. But the know it all is very much like I'm in charge. You do what I say, I know the most. And really now it should be the smartest person in the room is the room. Um, I was reading a self-assessment leadership book this morning when I couldn't sleep. And one of the parts of this chapter I was reading was talking about groupthink mm -hmm. and how that happens so much when it's like you're in a meeting or you're in a group and y'all are all communicating and there's a leader. And then naturally there's that power dynamic. I also saw this on a TikTok this morning. But they were talking about like there's natural dynamics in a meeting, period, no matter how collaborative the leadership is in the environment. Mm -hmm. And so groupthink happens when everyone's like, you know, why don't we do this event? Yeah, that sounds great. OK, let's start planning. And not a single person's like, have we thought about this? Have we thought about this? And I feel like we have that in our, on our team. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like the three of us can really yeah. put out there like, have we thought about this pitfall? What about this? Or like just yesterday when you're like, we need more perspective and X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you know what? That's great. I didn't even think about that because I'm thinking more logistically. Mm -hmm. um, and so not only is it good for the challenger and the individual that they're leading, but it helps the whole group because then not a, we, we need to have individual thinking that comes together in a synergy instead of group think and nobody's pushing back on anything. Right. I, I love that. And I think of the different types of brainstorming um, structures that there are. There's so mm -hmm. many protocols and stuff. And um, I think back to like I didn't even know all these existed. Yeah, one of our favorite, too. one of our favorite tools, Canva, that actually has no. all of these um, brainstorming like amazing. templates. Amazing. And there's so many protocols and structures on there that I didn't even knew existed. And they're so helpful and help in like actually structuring 
conversations. You know, we think of brainstorming like everybody just get in a room and throw some ideas on board and then like see what sticks. And that's not always the best way to go about it. Um, You know, because some people like myself, um, we've talked about this many times, you know, I'm a slower processor and it doesn't mean I don't have anything to say. It just means I need some time to think before, you know, and so sometimes in situations where people are just spitting out things and throwing them on a board, in those types of brainstorming situations, I feel like I like I don't have anything to say because it's too much. It's too much. And I'm and that I'm not gonna get my idea out there. Yeah. When you know, I've learned a, a better way to go about that would be to have everybody just kind of think by mm-hmm. themselves for a little bit or maybe with a partner before everybody just starts throwing, you know, stuff to the wall. Yeah, it's funny that you're like, I didn't even know all these protocols existed. I remember when I got to central office, so when I officially left the classroom and I started working with consultant companies and on different projects and things. And I'm like, gosh, this one company, they have all these protocols. Every time they would come to a meeting and like help us organize X, Y, and Z, they would it would just be so organized. And I also kind of felt dumb. I'm like, man, we could have used some of these brainstorm conversations and some of our leadership training on campus or like PLCs or whatever. And it's like you said, when I came across Canva templates, I was like, why are no one needs to reinvent the wheel here? You want to brainstorm, go to Canva, call it a day. Yeah. Not only that, but like their after action, you know, reviews or the different, you know. But even Google, I mean, you can Google, I know we don't work for them, but we kind of, we kind of hear from our sponsor. (laughs) <laughs> All proceeds go to. <laughs> um, okay, so back to that. When you're thinking about from a leadership position, sharing knowledge and opinions with the people that you lead, how does a leader do that effectively without diminishing those followers? Because it's a fine line, like there is a hierarchy, mm-hmm. period. But you and I both have been around people that do it, again, gracefully. And then those that you're like, got it. This is your moment to shine. This is the me show. Right. Yeah. I think part of it is, like I said earlier, kind of being curious and starting out a conversation with curiosity and and asking other people what they know about something or or how they envisioned it. Because, you know, some people might have, this might have been like a passion, you know, topic for them. Um, and they've been thinking about it for weeks before the actual, like, you know, brainstorm event happens. And, um, and so I think coming in with like, hey, let's everybody just kind of like share, you know, what you've been thinking about mm-hmm. your vision for this thing or whatever okay. it is that you're, you're coming, you know, to, the, to talk about. But I think just starting with curiosity rather than, okay, everybody, here's what I think. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, it kind of tends to go with group thing. Mm-hmm. Or in, in a situation where you have a know-it-all, the idea is that um, everybody just kind of tends to agree with the yeah. boss. Yeah. Well, um, especially if they're a know-it-all. Right. Know-it-all doesn't, that's, that title doesn't stand alone. It's not like, I just know it all, but I'm also very open and authentic and approachable. Usually if you're a know-it-all, Unfortunately, there's more negative skills that are attached to it. So no one's going to be like, hey, I know it all. I'd like to go against what you're saying. Like, that's right. not comfortable for anybody. People don't feel no, like they comfortable. Can. So they're just, they come into the meeting or whatever it is, like just knowing, well, I'm just going to wait and see what the boss says. And then we're all just going to agree and then, you know, move on from there. 
So I think just starting a conversation with, with questions and inquiry kind of helps. What do you I think that's good. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I, I think just going back to what we were talking about previously, um, there's a time and place for the leader in this in this specific question to be the one to share the knowledge and opinions. But I think it's good to name it but after you start off like asking people, but then just constantly checking yourself, checking your ego, because we are all human. And no matter what group you lead, where you're at, corporate, education, central office, campus, whatever, you just have to go into the knowledge and opinion sharing with a humility mindset instead of, of a, this is my stage, I'm going to shine. Right which we're all human. That is a natural inclination at some point during a day, a week, a year, whatever. But once you start going down that path, it's, I think the true effective leadership is when you can turn yourself off that street and be like, wait a second, this isn't the Monica show. This isn't the Caitlin show. This is the professional learning and the client ISD show for in our case specifically. Mm -hmm. Then it just kind of helps put everything in, in perspective. Like I'm not the main character here you know like we're the supporting roles of what we're the work we're doing every day and i just think that's so it has to be so intentional because it's not natural for leaders i mean everybody wants to share the things they know and love and their opinions and the things they're passionate about right. why is it about the passion and the love and the work or is it about you shining because you know these things right yeah. i just think that's important to remember and can really change the dynamic of a team collaboration and communication yeah i would agree with that and I, I, I would even go, you know, to a little bit further with that, with not sharing your knowledge and opinions. Um, well, I had a thought. I should have written it down while we were talking. Um, I, you know, I don't like to interrupt, so. That's what um, I meant. That's why I'm taking notes. Because I'm like, there's so many good <laughs> things. Know, right? We got to keep going. Uh, oh, it was really about perspective. We talked about that while ago, is, is inviting um, multiple perspectives, mm. you know, into a conversation. Um, because the leader has, obviously they're in that position for a reason and they have a lot of knowledge around that subject, but it's um, still one perspective, right? It's still like one perspective. And when you have other people on your team who have varying perspectives or they have experience on this side of things that maybe you, you didn't have experience on, or, you know, you, you know, about this other topic that maybe isn't as much of a passion topic for the leader. Um, I think opening up for multiple perspectives does help carry the conversation and carry the work forward, you know? Yeah. And, and it's funny that you're saying that because especially in our organization, there's so many positions and so many jobs. And really this happens in corporate world too. There's mm -hmm. always different departments, divisions, et cetera. So if you're only taking one, you know, that's something that I've learned, especially being at central office the last four years from leaders that I've worked for is like, you know, at every step of leadership that you promote, it's more gets more and more global. And I'll never forget being like a 20-something-year-old teacher and volleyball coach. And um, one of the head volleyball coaches I worked for made a comment once, something about like, on my appraisal, like, you know, needs to expand global view. And I was like offended. I was like, what? And like, I totally get the big picture. And I just like smile in humility, complete humility when I think about that, because now where I'm at, you know, 15 years into my educational career looking, but I didn't have a global view. I mean, I was a teacher. I was like 25, like, but I thought I knew. And then you become the next step of your leadership journey. And then you're like, oh, you know, it's kind of like when you become an assistant principal, you think you know what assistant principals are doing, especially if you work closely to that position. Mm -hmm. And you and I can both attest to this being former assistant principals. And you get into it and you're like, Oh. You know, it's kind of embarrassing that you thought you knew 
And, and there's so many groups of people that they think they know that this X, Y, and Z position is like this, and then you get into it. So I think that that also is helpful to stay grounded in the work because then you don't forget the other perspectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it also just builds the content and the experiences of the people that you serve. Yeah. It, I was kind of thinking about this idea. I had a, a principal one time who kind of talked to me about the different perspectives and how you, you can... or you know, various positions have different um, global views. Like you said, um, you know, uh, if we're talking about education, you know, like uh, compare it to like maybe a football game. You have the players or the, who are students, right, on who are actually, you know, doing the work and you have the coach on the sidelines, you know, the teacher who's there in the work with the, the kids, but they only see it from their perspective right there. And then you have, you know, maybe mm-hmm. an assistant principal or principal who's a little bit, you know, further up, maybe halfway up the stands and they're seeing it from that way or they're in the press box, you know, and they see things from that perspective, a much wider view. Or then you have people, you know, even wider view, like, you know, district administration superintendents who are up in a helicopter and they're seeing, you know, a much bigger picture. They've got their, they're flying their drone (laughs) across the game and, and seeing that much bigger picture. And that helped me understand like, oh, okay, yeah. I have a limited perspective on this and I didn't realize like, oh yeah, there's all these other things to think about. Um, and that really helped kind of seal, you know, perspective in my, in my mind. It's also helped me to show grace towards other leaders and positions that I'm not in. Like you and I just read a Houston uh, Chronicle article yesterday. Right. And, and I think years and years ago, it would have been probably like, oh my gosh, that happened. But the first thing out of our mouths is like, mm, there's more to the story, you know, mm-hmm. or like when people make decisions and it's not popular, you know, I think my uh, patience with those decisions or my view of those has changed significantly because now I see the behind the scenes of so many things that sometimes have nothing to do with our department or me, right. but it does help me feel more empathetic to leaders that are making tough decisions because I'm like, there's more to the picture. Yeah. There's more there. And that has only grown through the multiple perspectives that I've had personally or with the leaders or mentors that I've been around over the years. So I just think it helps kind of foster the whole like empathetic relationship building type of environment period, because then not only is your view growing, but the perspectives that you're around help grow you too. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of when I was coaching volleyball. You know, the coaching world, I have so many, you know, special feelings about that environment culture and you've heard a million times about it. So I have two thoughts about it. One, you know, that culture is is very much like I'm the head coach of the program sometimes, not all the time, but I've worked for this and this is how it's going to be. And, you know, I think it's, it was helpful when I started veering off from just school coaching because then I would go to the club world. And if you don't play sports or know sports, this isn't, hopefully this still makes sense. But essentially it's like extracurricular outside of school. But I remember like I was tired. It was a lot. It was like another job. But I kept remembering the perspectives and the mentoring I'm getting in this other aspect was invaluable. Like to me, that was worth more than an extra paycheck that I was getting because I was around these experts that were around the game all the time. And on my school setting, I was still teaching and coaching. So I wasn't I was still around some experts. But like this was a vast majority and it was just incredible learning. And I just think of like how we have to seek that out sometimes too. Yeah. I keep seeing everywhere, like find a mentor, find a mentor. And it's like, I feel like that's sometimes a dying art because how do you, the last time I asked somebody to be my mentor was like so awkward. If like I was asking someone out or something mm-hmm. like, you want to be like, you want to go to dinner sometime? <laughs> but then too, because everybody's busy and like we're in a pandemic, but I just think that's a, a dying art of like, 
we really can learn from each other. We need to strengthen our networks because not only will it help grow us, but it'll help the right. groups we lead, you yeah. know? Well, when you, when you talk about mentors and multiple perspectives, I, I was thinking about, um, I, don't, I don't remember if it was an article that I was reading somewhere. I read this recently about um, pairing up mentors. Like we do for, we have a, a first year assistant principal program, a mentorship program, and we try to pair them up with someone who's at a different campus mm -hmm. than them. Because while it would be easy logistically to pair them up with someone who's on their campus, um, having the perspective from someone who's who's been at multiple campuses or who just has different ideas and sees things a little bit differently can bring a whole new perspective because Let's say you're at, you're an AP at a high school with 12 other APs. You're going to get their input all day, every day. And but when you have a mentor from the outside for from a different campus, even from a different level, you know, could be very helpful in in, in those things. And I was I was reading about um, we also have the new teacher mentor program. So for our first and second year teachers, and I was reading about another uh, district that does something very similar, except they make a point to pair them up with someone who teaches in a, either a different grade level or different subject area. Like maybe an art teacher, pair them up with like a, a math teacher because it helps give them like a bigger global perspective on things. So I was thinking that was really important to, um, to open up people's, you know, minds and not just get that group think. You know. There's a professor, I get her newsletter. I think her name is Emily Foster. I can't remember. Maybe it wasn't her. Maybe it is. I don't know. doesn't matter. The point is she said something on one of her social media challenge, um, channels about she every day seeks out news and specifically political news from both sides. Obviously, right. she probably identifies more with one. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't always agree with it. Is it infuriating sometimes when I'm listening to the side that I don't agree with more, connect with more? Yes. But it helps me right. to not just absorb content and information from one side of the viewpoint that I agree with. Yes. And I love that. Like yeah. I, I think that, and now we're going to get off into like a whole other tangent, but just going back to perspective, it is about you opening your mind. Doesn't mean you have to accept everything. It doesn't mean you're going to walk away from conversations and mentoring thinking I'm going to do all these things, but the more perspective you have, the better you can shape your own. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people think that I have to stay in my lane. And like you were saying, I got to just stick with the people on my campus, but it's like, I don't know. I feel invigorated when I am around somebody who's doing something different than what we're doing. And it either sparks my own creativity to start something new or I can, um, you know, re-energize a project that we're doing because they were doing something different um, than what we're doing. And so I know now we're going to get off on a tangent about that, but it's like being in an echo chamber. I mean, yeah. if you only mm -hmm. listen to the people who, share the exact same ideas as you or who are only seeing problems the same way as you um like you said you don't you don't hear and you just kind of you're just your ideas and opinions are validated or confirmed you know it's like that whole confirmation bias thing like you think you're right because all the people around you share yeah. the same ideas so you're just constantly yeah. being, We're not being celebrities. validated rather than opening it up i get a newsletter um every day in my email from um a new service called Tangle, and basically they they present one or two big topics of the day from from different perspectives and say, here's what oh, you know, cool. here's what like the left is saying, here's what you know the right is saying, and here here are the different perspectives from you know on on this topic, and it does help you to see, oh, okay, now I understand why people 
are concerned about this because you're you're opening up from that other side. I will say, just because it's not all puppies and unicorns, that if you are working with a know-it-all or a version of a know-it-all, it is difficult to get feedback from those people. I thrive under supervisors that I am like, yes, you are model leadership. I want to hear you. I want to soak you. I want to know everything you're doing. You give me feedback. I'm like, great, let's go. I can, I, these are areas of growth. If anyone's ever worked for a know-it-all and you've gotten feedback, I mean, it can make or break an entire work year. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think that's a challenge and that's something that we could kind of dive into briefly about what do you do when you do work for a know-it-all and you're in this cycle type of communication where you're getting feedback from them and you don't, they're know-it-all. They're not respecting, they're not listening. It's not, these aren't one-on-ones you're having where they're really like caring about the person, you, the whole person in front of you. They're just checking off a box list on an appraisal sheet. Right. How do you manage your sanity when that happens? And I, and I, I mean, not to answer the own question, but there's something I've just, I've thought about in the past is like, it's a mindset. Like you have to anchor yourself in the work and the purpose that you're doing. That literally is the only thing that can carry you through those kind of situations. Because if you focus on the leader you work for and the feedback they're giving you and how it's just a know-it-all situation, instead of I'm coming to work doing the thing that I love that I've chosen to do with my life, then you'll lose perspective and you'll be miserable. And I've seen that. I've seen that with people. They just can't focus on the purpose because they're focusing on the person. We put that on a shirt. They're not focused on the purpose because they're focused on the person. That's good. I think in those situations you have to, I mean, this is such a cliche, but like take what they're saying as a grain of salt. Yeah. You know, it's just like, okay, they probably do have some valuable input. Yes. Great point. And, and you kind of have to like sift through and extract what is valuable to me. So good. Um, and not to say like, oh, I'm only going to take the things that are going to confirm what I'm already doing, but really listen and, and, and think, okay. Is there truth to it? Is there some truth in what they're telling me? But also seek out feedback from other people. If you don't feel like that person is the right person to be giving you all the feedback, you know, there are other people that you work with or around or, or under who could give you valuable feedback. And I think it's important to maybe seek out um, you know, input from other people that you that you do admire or or value, you know, as leaders. So that yeah. would be helpful too. All right, y'all. As a reminder, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter by Liz Wiseman. Such a good book. Really helps you evaluate and reflect how you are as a leader, where you are in an ecosystem of leaders. This was chapter four, The Challenger. So obviously next is chapter five, The Debate Maker. And Caitlin, thanks, thanks for joining me this morning. Sure, really, Leadership development content is my jam. Y'all have a good one. We'll see you next time. Here's to taking our learning to transform the world.